guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Friends, welcome back. This is episode 25 of the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Woo! 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 I'm CJ. I'm Melissa. Welcome. We are are recording this 2,000 miles apart from each other, and sometimes we talk over each other. So, correct. Welcome. Um, we wanted to start off by, um, kind of talking about how last week we mentioned it was our annual one year anniversary for the podcast and we had been brainstorming over the, (coughs) sorry, I'm like having mild asthma attacks right now. (laughs) I literally have to hit my inhaler. She's about to hit the albuterol girl. Yeah. Fucking it up. Such a nerd. Okay. Um, and so we were talking about how we could like start building and expanding um, more broadly for year two. <coughs> God, this sucks. <coughs> All right. Do you we want to? Ta- I can tag in. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you might need to tag in. <laughs> okay. Real quick. So, well, first we want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening, especially the people who have been around the entire. Well, I know we haven't been posting episodes for a year, but the entire six, seven, eight months that we've been posting, big ups to y'all. And we're trying to really focus, now that we've been recording episodes for a full year, on beefing up the sisterhood part of our podcast, which basically means that we just want to get more engagement with our fan base and our listeners as much as we possibly can. Uh, You may have noticed my extremely dramatic call for communication in the description of episode 24. We've also been reaching out to some people that we know are super loyal listeners to just get feedback. But all this to say, we'd love to hear from you guys. And we have a couple of ways we want to suggest that you can engage with us. Um, first is that we would love to do either in our weekly episodes or make separate standalone episodes about women that y'all really care about. So whether that's a already famous woman or it could just be someone in your life, it could be your mom, a sister, a best friend, a mentor. If you want to shout them out in some way, please send us an email for your, you can call them your woman of the week. We would love to read off emails. We might do that on a weekly basis if we had enough submissions. Or we might just do one episode with a bunch of them once we've accumulated a ton. So again, our email is mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Definitely reach out if you want to give a shout out to a woman. And again, it doesn't need to be someone that we would necessarily cover. It can literally you be shouting out, excuse me, it could literally be you shouting out just a woman in your personal life that you fucking love. So that's one way. 
Um, and then also just if you have general feedback for us, but maybe you don't want to leave it in an iTunes review or you've already left us reviews or it's too long for an iTunes review, feel free to reach out to us either on our email or Instagram, or you can text us since most of you are our friends anyway. Um, and just let us know what your thoughts are. We're totally open to hearing feedback. We really want to feel like this is a sisterhood and that you guys are a part of it. So there's that as well. Um, anything you want to add, Melissa? Are you still dying? <clears throat> Coming back now. Okay, great. Um, did you mention how we want to amp up our social media engagement? I did not. Um, okay. So that's, you may have noticed over the last week I've been, or we've been kind of obsessively posting on Instagram. Do, do you want to go? I've been talking so much. They're sick of my voice. Um, yeah, so as part of a way for us to engage with you more on like a day to day basis, so we can get to know you more and you get to know us more, we want to start uploading things about our day to day lives as well as posting like quizzes or um, polls that you can vote things on and um, put some type of, you know, posts up that requires you to comment with a woman or guess, do like little guessing games about past episodes. Like we don't really know yet. We're kind of just brainstorming, but we do plan on providing more of that type of content on our social media accounts. So if you do follow us, please engage. It would make our lives so happy. And if you don't follow us yet, fucking hop on that shit. We out mm-hmm. there. We're we trying here. to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Don't you ghost <laughs> us. We get enough of that. We're two heterose- or mostly heterosexual females. We don't need any more ghosting than we already have. No, no, no. And it's like, it's, it's like the sisterhood. Like, you literally can't ghost us. That's, that's just a male thing, so. Yeah, first rule of the sisterhood, you can't fucking ghost other sisters. <laughs> Period. Exactly. Um... So at Mimosa Sisterhood is our Instagram handle. We do have a Twitter, but God, I hate that thing. <laughs> I know. And I like, I've been ghosting Twitter for like a week and a half, but I will, I'll get back on it this week. This is like, this is mine and Melissa's relationship. I feel like in this way, it's similar to a married couple that like one of them just does one particular chore and they never discuss it. It just happens and it's done. Like that's how it is with Twitter. I don't fucking touch it. I'm just like, Melissa's got it. She mows the lawn. That's her thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I was good at it for a hot minute. And then I was like, Twitter's annoying. It's so dumb, but we're on there. Mimosa hood. Yeah, Mimosa Hood. Mm-hmm. We we may um, or may not be there. Instagram's better for us, guys. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on that same note, as you know, trying to build more engagement on social media, CJ, don't you have a really awesome shout out to give? I do. So if you do follow us on Instagram, you may have noticed that this past week we posted mood board clues for our women so for each woman from episode 24 we posted three photos that were visual clues excuse me for you to guess who they were and we're going to be doing that moving forward every week so you can guess before we post our episode on monday mornings and this week nobody guessed melissa's woman but our dear dear friend walter bradley correctly guessed my woman from episode 24 which was wendy carlos based on a picture of a synthesizer a solar eclipse 
and a funny picture of Sebastian of Johann Sebastian Bach. So big shout out to Bert, Walter Bradley. And if you want to get a shout out on our episode, you are totally welcome to make your guesses on our Instagram posts and we will give you a shout out if you get them correct. Also, like how did nobody get mine? Like Thin Mints was just an automatic giveaway. Yeah, with that, I'm like, you guys weren't trying. Like, come on. But I love also that Walter Bradley got the very obscure. Like, who knows who Wendy... Well, the other oh, the other thing, coming to engagement, we also got our hands on photos of the decorated oyster shells that we mentioned in the last episode, which was the inspiration for me covering Wendy Carlos. So if you have any, like, female-centered art that you want to send us, we'd love to showcase it on our Instagram. Or even if you just see cool art, interesting stories that you think we should know about or that we should touch on in the episodes hit us up we'd love to we'd love to hear from you have we mentioned that we like really want to hear from you we really want to hear from you (laughs) cool and i think that's it there so mimosa sisterhood gmail.com at mimosa sisterhood instagram and uh and also And also, we, like, really appreciate those of you who are dedicated listeners. It's actually a really big deal. Um, All five of you. Thank you so much. Speaking of dedicated listeners, we were recently told that um, our Villainess episode is a fan favorite. And we got some feedback from one of our loyal listeners that they enjoy themed episodes. Which, in fact, we do too. Um, but sometimes we're just too lazy to think of a theme. So <laughs> <laughs> we've decided that we're going to bring back a villainous episode for our next uh, recording next Wednesday. So that will be up on April 1st. So stay tuned for some spooky, creepy, murderous, maybe not so murderous women. Some stank ass hoes. Stay tuned. <laughs> and, and again, if you have themes that you think would be super cool for us to cover, shoot us a shoot us a message. That will actually that will make our lives really easy. There's a whole lot of women in the world, guys. It can be really hard to pick one every week. So, okay, this is true. Great. I think that's it on the on the pleas for attention. <clears throat> Did Anybody we have any other add? major intro? Um, I had, this was just like a funny story that I wanted to share with someone. So I, when I first moved to New Orleans, I was in a sublease situation and through my roommates, I learned something I wish I could unlearn, which is that Uber Eats exists. And mm-hmm. from that point forward in my life, a lot of food has been delivered to my door for better and for worse and i just want to confess here and now on episode 25 that i hit up uber eats probably at least three times a week i'm not ashamed i'm not sorry don't judge me i have a bike okay it's hard it's hard to transport food on my bike uh but on i think monday night sunday or monday night i ordered food at like 1 a.m i ordered like crepes from uber (laughs) eats at like 1 a.m 
And I try to like go outside and very quietly, because it's one in the morning on my street, grab this crepe and this dude like gets out of his car and probably trying to like earn a good tip is being super friendly and like trying to have a conversation with me in this like booming voice. I'm trying to be polite and I'm like, dude, so for any of you who are listening who might be like food delivery people, you need to have the discretion of someone sneaking out after a booty call. Like, I do not need my whole street knowing that I'm ordering (laughs) dessert at one in the morning. And when they come through, like, four days a week, and they're like, hi, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, fuck, bro, you're like, the whole street knows that I'm that fat bitch who orders food four times a week at, like, 1 a.m. So please don't do that, guys. Like, you really just respect a bitch just don't i'll give you a good tip i want to i want full discretion from my food delivery people that's all i'm saying maybe maybe you need to start adding it into the note section (laughs) don't talk to me and you will get a good tip well the cool uber eats now you can tip in advance if you want but you can like change it afterwards in case they like suck but i Mm -hmm. might do that i might be like you will get this five dollar tip only if you do not exchange a single word with me That's amazing. Well, I have a similar, um, maybe even more embarrassing story that involves food delivery, um, which occurred a couple weekends ago when I, for whatever motherfucking reason, decided to get blackout at the bar after my softball game on a Sunday. Yes. Um, Newsflash. I ordered Postmates that night. Don't remember doing that. Don't remember opening the door and accepting the food. Don't remember having ate any of the food, which I apparently ate one thing. I ordered two things. There was evidence that I consumed one of them (laughs) next to my bed when I woke up. And then before I go to work the next day, I go into my fridge to get water and I there's like another to go container in there. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I open it up. And it is an absolutely gigantic plate of french fries that are covered with pastrami, chili, beans, and bacon. Oh, that sounds foul. Not one bite was eaten. No. And then I looked in my Postmates account and they were $15 and they were called DUI fries. (laughs) Of course. So, uh, that's my life. But I can totally imagine, even as a vegetarian, how when you were blackout, that that sounded so fucking good to you. $15 for that thing. Like, I didn't eat one bite, and I immediately threw them away. I was so disgusted with myself. (laughs) DUI fries. Yeah. Oh, gross. Um... The other thing I wanted to mention that's educational, which I posted on our Instagram story, is that on March 29th, the NASA will be doing its first all-female spacewalk, which means that the astronauts will be all-female and the people running <laughs> command, I don't know what it's called, Houston, I don't know, the, the girls on the ground will all be women too. So like the entire execution of the spacewalk will be completely helmed by women. And I thought that was super cool. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. Well, that very strangely correlates with my woman tonight. (sighs) Okay. Wine review? Wine review. Okay. So 
Speaking of engagement on social media, I posted a couple hours before this recording tonight pictures of two bottles of wine, and I asked people to decide which one I would drink. The overwhelming majority, aka four people, voted for Ava Grace, which is what I drank last episode. But a couple of people, including my slut friend Emily, voted for the Cali Collection Pinot Grigio, which I do not like, but I'm going to sip it live Mm. right now. So I have a new wine to review for you. In your handy dandy corksicle? My oh yes yes. So I am slightly classier today. I am at least drinking out of a glass that is intended for alcohol. It is a corksicle. It is like a lavender glimmery corksicle glass that Melissa gave to me when we were at PodCon. And it actually like it insulates it really well. It's great. It's perfect. It's actually supposed to be. It's supposed to be a champagne flute. Look, it's a step up from Mardi Gras plastic cups. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, expired Mardi Gras plastic cups. I was going to say, is this one going to give me cancer like you said the last no. cup was going to? No, that one's good. <laughs> okay, so this is, it's called Cali Collection. I can't. Central Coast Cali Collection Pinot Grigio 2015. It has bright notes of crisp pear with a hint of honeysuckle and a balanced finish making it perfect for any moment you want to make last. Uh, And it's got a really cute label. I will post it on Instagram with blue background and poppies. And I'm going to drink it right now. It. Oh, there it is. (laughs) I was just going to say it tastes better than I remember last week, but it's got a weird finish to it. It's not bad. You know what? I think I'm actually going to drink this a little bit tonight because it's going to expire because I opened it last week. It's probably already expired. But you know how last week I was saying how like rosé to me sometimes has this taste that's like footy? Like I don't know how else to describe it. It has like that kind of finish to it. If you guys have the word for what that is, sommeliers that are listening. Ew! (laughs) That's so gross. Well, it's got hints of honeysuckle and toe jam, and that's what I'm drinking tonight out of my corksicle. What are you drinking? What the fuck is honeysuckle? I thought it was like a flower. Can you even eat that? <laughs> I'm googling that right now. Honey, I feel like it's like a fable. That's like not a real thing. It's not kind of like not. <laughs> you made that up. It is a shrub. Well, duh. It's a vine. It's some kind of vine. It's really pretty. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I have hipster wine tonight. Go on. It came in my wine club shipment, which let me tell you I canceled because I'm mad at them. Well, okay. I like, so it's one of those things where you're supposed to like, if you like you, so they send it monthly and you have the option to select which wines you want. And I, like, forgot, because I'm busy and I don't fucking check my emails every day, 24-7. And so they just, like, sent me a package, and they literally sent three bottles that I've already had before from them. Boo. But they, maybe it's they like, were trying to be safe, because they need ordered them. I'm trying to defend them. I don't, I don't know, know but I was pissed. 
Yeah, so, fuck them. The fourth bottle was the only one I hadn't had, and it's my hipster bottle. And literally, I don't even know what to say. It it's called. I don't actually know what it's called, but it says "Lost Poet Love Atticus." Oh, okay. Which, like, I think is like the Atticus from like "To Kill a Mockingbird." It has to be. So uh-huh. this is the worst part. The back it uh-huh. says "Wine is Poetry." Period. Write yours, and there's just a big giant blank label. Dude, okay, if you post that to Instagram, you have to fill that label in. <laughs> How, it like, is, dramatic is this? You guys, so it's, like, the we'll post this on Instagram, but it's literally, like, this white label with, like, gigantic black block letter font that just says poet, because, like, it's hipster, you know? Well, guess what else? I don't know what wine I'm drinking. It doesn't even say what it is? No. Like, I don't know if this is a Merlot, a Pinot Noir, a Sauve. Like, I have no idea. It doesn't say. I I mean, I know it's red. You know what else it is? Fucking poetry. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) So, yeah, this mysterious poetry Atticus wine is red. Um... If I had to guess, I would say it's like a red blend or a Pinot Noir because it doesn't have very many tannins in it and it's not like chalky on the tongue. So it's probably one of those two. Mm -hmm. It's not bad, but like, fuck you for being a hipster wine, you know? Yeah. What is this? Also, Uh, like, isn't Atticus not cool? No, we love it. No, Atticus is great. Oh, we do like Atticus. No, we love Atticus. Yeah. Wasn't there somebody in that story we fucking hated? There were a lot, I think. I read it so long ago. But Atticus was, like, super nice in defending the black man on trial. So we liked Got it. Okay. So I couldn't remember. Um, But I was just like, fuck you, you dumbass hipster wine. So, I mean, the wine's fine. But, like, I just can't with all this shit, you know? Dude, you have to fill in that fucking label. Like, you have to. (laughs) You have no choice. All right, well, after I drink the whole bottle and I'm drunk, I'll think of something clever to write on it. Watch, it'll be like a Pulitzer Prize winning poem. It'll be like so fucking good. (laughs) So yeah, that's my wine review. Okay, but you like it. It's like good. Yeah, it's fine, but I just am annoyed by it. It's like, stop trying. So did you cancel the thing? Yeah, I canceled it because like one... I just, like, don't need four bottles of wine coming to my house once a month. (laughs) And also, like, they always include, like, a bubbly, and I just don't drink bubbly. Oh, I love it so much. Like, I like it, but only in specific settings, and, like, I'm usually a night drinker, and I'm just not drinking bubbly at night. Well, you also, like, people would fight me on this, but, like, you can't recork bubbly. Like, I know it's technically possible, but bubbly is one of those things, like, once you pop that bottle, you have to drink it that night. You can't, like, yeah. come back to it. And so it's, like, if unless you're tr- you have other people with you or you're, like, trying to get fucked up, it's not a wine you can casually drink, you know? Yeah, so... so- I now have, still in my house, two bottles of what they call bubbly sh- uh, bubbly Chardonnay. 
and i never drink the first yeah i never drink the first bottle because duh and then they fucking send it to me again you have to try it just so we know you have to try it Uh, all right i'll well since i have two bottles now anyway and they're gonna go on they're either never gonna be drinking or they're going in the trash i might as well just drink one on the next podcast and the villainess podcast that will match perfectly that's perfect fucking perfect (laughs) so perfect you could like hate drink your wine and hate talk about your woman yeah all right that's the plan then okay all right coolio is it time i it is i'm so curious you have any guesses on who i picked she's well you gave me some clues before the episode she's alive and she's black right yes and she's related to space yes so no i don't have any guesses (laughs) (laughs) all right well, today I am covering Nichelle Nichols. She is an American actress, singer, and voice artist, best known for her groundbreaking role as Lieutenant Ahura aboard the USS <gasps> Enterprise in the original Star Trek television series. That's fucking awesome! <laughs> okay, I know who that is, even though I didn't know the name offhand. Fuck yes. Also, am I saying her lieutenant name correctly? You fucking killed that with your inhaler. You have the nerd power. <laughs> it is. You said it. You said it. One hundred percent correct. It's Ohura. It's yep. You Ohura. She, killing okay. it. Killing, killing it. it. Okay. So. <clears throat> First, I want to give a shout out to my friend Libby for suggesting this woman. Um, she gave me a list of women like a long ass time ago that she thought I should cover and so far on her list was Josephine Baker and Nichelle Nichols and now I'm covering both of them so thanks Libby I'm super stoked on this woman and I had a lot of fun researching her and just wait till we get to the end because I have a fun fact that's gonna blow your mind away about this woman Ooh. Which, like, again, I love when I discover things that I don't already know just through the research. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most fun part. Okay, so, so, Nichelle was born in 1932 in Robbins, Illinois. As a child, her parents encouraged her interest in singing and dancing, and she was so talented that she earned an audition with the Chicago Ballet Academy. When she arrived at the audition with her father, she was informed by the instructor that blacks could not possibly hope to undertake a formal study of ballet, as they just were not suited for it. Furious, her father insisted that she be allowed to audition. Equally furious and humiliated, Nichelle danced her very best, and she won the right to attend the academy. Mm Mm-hmm. In her early career, she began working as a dancer in Chicago, and she broke into television after years of traveling as a successful nightclub singer and dancer for live jazz orchestras. She landed her first appearance on TV um, with the series that was called The Lieutenant in 1964, and that's where she developed a professional and romantic relationship with a director named Jean Roddenberry. And although the romantic relationship was short-lived, they maintained a long-lasting friendship and business relationship. 
A little bit after that, Jean began casting for a science fiction TV series to be set in the outer space, and he invited Nichelle to audition. She was cast in the now legendary series Star Trek as Lieutenant Uhura. Uhura? Fuck, it's so hard to say. Because it's spelled it. weird. Do you know how it's spelled? I, don't even, I, have, I have no idea how it's spelled, actually. It's spelled U-H-U-R-A. Uhura. It's Uhura, yeah. But it's I can see how you would, like, you might want to be like, Uhura. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, like, Uhura. I don't know. Uhura. That's how I'm going to say it. it. No, Sorry, guys. Um. So... Yeah, so she got the role as Lieutenant Uhura, which was adapted from, quote, Yuhuru, which was the Swalihi word for freedom, which is okay. a strange, interesting connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Star Trek, Nichelle was one of the first black women featured in a major television series who played the role of a confident, educated, authoritative female space traveler in a world devoid of bigotry and sexism. Mm-hmm. Prior to this happening, black women in the 1960s played subordinate and unimportant roles on television shows. Nichelle changed that, and she served as a role model for not only future black actresses, but also as a symbol for young women who dreamed of becoming astronauts and scientists. During the first year of the series, fan mail began to pour in from across the country, but Nichelle was dissatisfied with her treatment by the television studio and by the way in which her character's action was minimized. She was tempted to leave the show and at one point even told Jean that she was going to leave the show because she wanted to pursue Broadway instead. However... A conversation that she had with Martin Luther King Jr. changed it all. She said that Martin Luther King personally encouraged her to stay on the series, telling her that he was a big fan of Star Trek. He said that she, he said that he could understand her grievances and frustrations with the show's production, but that she could not give up because she was playing a vital role model for black children and young women across the country, as well as for other children <clears throat> who would see blacks appearing as equal on television. So, Nichelle decided to stay on Star Trek and, like, for the full length of the show until it was canceled in 1969. Can you imagine, like, you can't, like, can you imagine Martin Luther King Jr., like, you have to do what he says. Like, when someone comes up and says, like, he of all people, it's like Oprah coming up to you and being like, you have to do this thing. You're like, I have, I have to do this. Like, that's yeah. insane. Right? That is so, that's insane. That's so cool. So, and also kind of, like, more story behind that. So, she was at a, like, Star Trek um, meet and greet. And Jean, who's, like, the producer of Star Trek and her past lover, but, like, her friend. So, she had already expressed to him that she wanted to leave. She was like, I'm not happy. I'm not into it. Like, I'm on one out. I want to go do Broadway. And he was like, okay, okay. But, like, just, like, give it, like, think it over. Like, take some time. And then they went to do this meet and greet. And he came up to her and was like, Nichelle, there's a fan here that wants to meet you. And, like, her thinking it's just, like, one of these Star Trek nerds is like, okay, like, for sure. And it was Martin Luther King. Shut 
up. Also, like, what yeah. was he doing there? Star Trek nerd. What up? MLK? Right? <laughs> I know. And I guess he had also told her that Star Trek is the only television show that him and his wife watch and also the only one he'd, like, allow his children to watch on TV because of, like, the black representation and just, like, its message behind, like, you know, trying to, like like not like trying to fight prejudice like on this television show honestly like i'm not a big the only thing i know about star trek is the movies that um jj abrams have has released in like the last 10 years Mm -hmm. but when you said that comment about like uh, a world where there's no discrimination based on like race or gender i never thought about it but star trek totally is like that like, yeah, I don't think we're giving Star Trek like I think it tends to get written off as like a nerdy show. But that soup was super fucking revolutionary. I never yeah. thought about it until you said that. That's so cool. Yeah. And I really didn't know that either because like I don't think I was watching a lot of Star Trek back in the day. Yeah. Like everyone knows who's like what Star Trek is. You've definitely come across it on television. You've probably laughed for a couple seconds and kept going. But like when I was talking about it with Libby at work today, she like knew a lot more about it and like was basically kind of like giving examples of what they would do on the show and how they made a point that like each episode's plot was kind of like fighting against some type of injustice. But like through space and like aliens and like kind of that quirky like nerdy shit, like they wasn't like, you know, they weren't doing like hardcore, serious, intense, dramatic displays of that it was kind of more in light fun i think so that yeah. might be why it maybe it kind of goes like flies over people's head i don't know but it was still but, there fucking cool yeah so cool yeah and i guess um so after he told her like please don't quit like you're you're like you're making history playing this role on this television show so she agreed to stay and when she went back and told gene like all right i'm not gonna quit i guess he started crying like in happiness yeah. Also, like, props to Gene. Oh, okay, sorry. What? Like, props to Gene for, like, even, like, creating a show yeah, and doing yes. such progressive things in the show. Yeah. 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 So, Great job, Gene. Gene. Go, Gene. Um, so, and that kind of comes into this next fun, fun point about Star Trek. So, in her role as Lieutenant Uhura... Nichelle kissed white actor William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk in the November 22nd, 1968 Star Trek episode called Plato's Stepchildren. The episode is cited as the first example of an interracial kiss on U.S. television. The kiss was seen as groundbreaking, even though it was portrayed as having been forced by alien telekinesis. (laughs) So uh, there was some praise, but there was also some protest. Wait, what year was that again? 1968. And that was the first ever interview. That's nuts. Yeah. So not only did he put an an African-American woman on TV in a high power, like authoritative, intelligent role where she was a main character and loved by all, he then let her kiss the white guy. Wow. Yeah. Again, go Jean. Go Jean. So in 1994, she put out an autobiography called Beyond Uhura, Star Trek, and Other Memories. And Nichelle cites a letter from which a white Southerner wrote to her 
and this is what they said quote i am totally opposed to the mixing of the races however anytime a red-blooded american boy like captain kirk gets a beautiful dame in his arms that looks like ohura he ain't gonna fight it (laughs) thanks bro cool story (laughs) what was the okay that's just a, a white southerner white southern male for you also like the mixing of the races come on god God. sorry right he probably i probably live right down the road from him that fucker i know you probably like passed him in whole foods today (laughs) um and then during the comedy central roast of william shatner on august 20th in 2006 nichelle jokingly referred to the kiss and said quote what do you say? Let's make a little more TV history and kiss my black ass. <laughs> I just spilled wine on my computer. <laughs> oh, that made me so happy. I know. So, despite the cancellation of the series in 1969, Star Trek lived on in other ways and continued to play a part in Nichelle's life. She again provided the voice of Ohura in Star Trek, the animated series, and she co-starred in six Star Trek films. After the cancellation of Star Trek, Nichelle volunteered her time in a special project with NASA to recruit minority and female personnel for the space agency. She began this work by making an affiliation between NASA and a company she helped create called Women in Motion. The program was a major success. Within four months in 1977, her company helped to find almost 1,700 female applicants and 1,000 minority applicants to NASA's space program. Among those recruited were Sally Ride, the first American female astronaut, United States Air Force Colonel Guon Bluford, who became the first African-American astronaut to go to space, and Judith Resnikand, Ronald McNair, and Ellison Onizuka, all who flew successful missions prior to their deaths in the tragic space shuttle Challenger disaster on January 28, 1986. Mm, rest in peace. I know. But that's pretty fucking cool. That's so cool. I mean, to even think that Sally Ride was recruited through her program and was the first American female astronaut. Like, what in the fucking world? Also, big fucking ups to NASA. Right? That they, like, made that effort. That's so awesome. Ah, God. That's so cool. Um, an enthusiastic advocate of, sp- of space exploration, Nichelle has served since the mid-1980s on the Board of Governors of the National Space Society, a nonprofit educational space advocacy organization. Former NASA astronaut Mae Jemison has cited Nichelle's role of Lieutenant Ohura as her inspiration for wanting to become an astronaut. And Whoopi Goldberg has also spoken of Nichelle's influence. Whoopi asked Gene Roddenberry directly for a role on Star Trek The Next Generation, and the character Gwinon was specially created for her. Oh my god, I didn't even know she was on there. Isn't that funny? That is so funny. 
So in the late 2015s, Nichelle flew aboard NASA's Stratospheric Observatory for infrared astronomy, Boeing 747SP, which analyzed the atmosphere of Mars and Saturn on an eight-hour high-altitude mission. She was also a special guest at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena to view the Viking 1 soft landing on Mars. Along with other cast members from the original Star Trek series, she attended the christening of the first space shuttle, Enterprise, at the North American Rockwell Assembly Facility in Palmdale, California. So, that's information about, like, her career and, like, all that she's contributed to women and NASA and just, like, just all of her influence that she's had. And so, just a little bit about her personal life. She was married twice, first to a dancer named Forrester Johnson. They were married in 1951 and divorced that same year. They had one child together named Kyle Johnson. Next, she married Duke Mondi in 1968, and they were divorced in 1972. Nichelle has continued to be a gracious or no, she's continued to be gracious to fans and loyal to the spirit of Uhura. She was once quoted to say, I firmly believe in the power of vision, and Jean Roddenberry's Star Trek raised the prospect that space offered humankind the opportunity to start anew. The show's ethical premises—oh well, no, that's not right. The show's ethical premises certainly formed a new foundation upon which the classical elements of the television drama could be redesigned. But to Jean, it all meant so much more. He believed as do I and many others, that this was not simply one possible version of the future. It's the only viable one. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, and on June 4th, 2015, Nichelle's booking agency announced that she had suffered a mild stroke at her Los Angeles home and had been admitted to a Los Angeles area hospital. This was barely three months after the death of her friend and Star Trek co-star Leonard Nimoy. Doctors were conducting tests to determine the severity of the stroke. Um, Nichelle was reportedly awake and resting comfortably, and an MRI scan did reveal a small stroke, but she was able to begin inpatient therapy for rehabilitation and recovery. In May 2018, her son Kyle announced that she was suffering from severe short-term memory loss as a complication of advanced dementia. She is still alive, and she's 86 years old today. So that's her story, but I have a really, really weird thing to tell you. Cool. Tell me. So in my research about her, it mentioned her brother. Okay. Her brother's name is Thomas, and he was a member of the Heaven's Gate cult. Shut up. He died on March 26, 1997, in the cult's mass suicide that supposedly coincided with the passing of the Hale-Bopp comet. Do you Whoa. know much about Heaven's Gate? Yes, because I listened to the podcast about it. Did you listen to the podcast? I haven't, because I literally okay. just learned this fact today. But I, I wrote down some facts that I just wanted to discuss so that listeners, if they don't know what Heaven's Gate is, they can know a little bit more about it. 
And the reason why I'm even talking about this, I don't want to take away from Nichelle and how fucking awesome she is, but I find a very eerie correlation between her life's career and life's journey and how her brother's cult has a strange connection to Star Trek. Okay, yeah. And, like, what the fuck is that all about? Right. (laughs) So, for people that don't know, Heaven's Gate is a cult that existed in San Diego, California, and it only consisted of about, like, 40 to 50 members, but basically, they were a UFO religious cult that believed that they would die and be transported to heaven via spaceship by aliens, Um, and I think, like, the aliens never came, or... They didn't show up, and so the cult decided to do, like, a mass suicide, believing that it was the only way to execute the Earth, and, like, the leader claimed that a spacecraft was trailing behind this comet called, like, Hale-Bopp, which was, like, heading to Earth, and that this was the only way that their souls could board that supposed spacecraft that was following the comet, and so they pretty much all drank the poison Kool-Aid, and killed themselves, believing that the spaceship would take their souls up to heaven and they would be living their life's mission. Um, Some other weird facts about that. The group purchased alien abduction insurance that would cover up to 50 members and would pay out $1 million per person. The policy covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. Who the fuck created that? No idea. Abduction insurance. Yeah. And then lastly, when all of the bodies were found eventually, they were all lying neatly in bunk beds wearing identical black shirts, sweatpants, brand new black and white Nikes, and armband patches that read Heaven's Gate Away Team, which was a logo that very much resembled the Star Trek logo. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I plug yeah. in real quick? Yeah. You and anyone listening, there is a podcast that's I think it's literally called Heaven's Gate and it came out um in 2018 and you should definitely check it out. It's good. Um and they do a really good job. The host, I've forgotten his name, he actually grew up in a cult, like a different cult, and he like obviously got out of it and became like a functional person. But so he does a really good job of humanizing the members and kind of showing you how they ended up going down this path that like from the outside looks totally fucking bonkers, but how they were like not crazy people, but just got kind of like kind of got approached at the right moment in their life with the right sales pitch and ended up on this path. So it's super interesting. Heaven's Gate, check it out. It's a really good podcast. Um, The end. That's my plug. Do you, like, does it not kind of, like, do you not have, like, questions or, like, weird, creepy feelings about, like, if maybe his interest and, you know, participation in Heaven's Gate cult could have at all transpired by like watching his sister on star trek and like living that world of like nasa i'm now i'm now trying to remember if they mentioned that he was part of it and they might have and i've forgotten because that's like he's kind of she's like high profile um maybe maybe for him personally it was i don't know 
Um, that's I don't think that's where the founders of the cults kind of got their ideas from based on the podcast, but maybe for him personally, that was like the draw. How weird. Yeah. What are like the odd, like her life is so space oriented. <laughs> like, but the like whole thing. imagine being her and having lived a life that she lived yeah. and then finding out that her brother killed himself for an alien cult. Yeah. Like, how do you, as Nichelle Nichols, cope with that fact? Yeah, that's so weird. That's so weird. It's fucking strange. Yeah. Like, I would, if that was me, I would feel like, oh my god, did my life path somehow lead to this? Like, I think there's just, like, this, like, strange, eerie, creepy, too close to home yeah, connection right. of her brother ending up in a UFO cult and becoming part of this mass suicide. Like, yeah, it's fucking weird. Yeah, no, it's totally, like, what are the odds? That's so strange. <laughs> I know. Was he older or younger? Do you know? I the don't mer- know. I don't know. I just know that his name was Thomas. And oh, and also, I think he even like, so I, you know how they, the cult before they died, they did like a video. Yeah. Yeah. And he was even in one of the videos. Like, I think they all did videos saying like, goodbye. Like, we're off to like, go do this mass suicide. This is the best day of our lives or something like that. Yeah, no, they're, like, super happy about it. They're fucking pumped, yeah. Like, they're not scared, they're not being, like... It's not like uh, Jonestown or whatever, where it seems like some people were, like, forced. Like, they were happy to go. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. They really believed it. They were, like, sick, we're going up. The entire time I listened to that (laughs) podcast, I was like, they have to all be Aquarians. Like, they have to be... (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh about that, but, um, but they really believed it. It's so weird. I had no idea her brother was a part of that. Yeah. Has she, did you, when you were like researching, did she have, like, did you see anything about her? Did she have like, like quotes in on relation it, to or? that? Yeah. No. And that's what I was really digging for because like, I think that's huge. At least to me, it's very, I think it's a very weird fact that like if if i was in their shoes i would yeah. be tripping balls over that like i wouldn't be okay <laughs> yeah yeah um but so i was like digging trying to find any article i could on like her having commented on it or anything interviewed and i couldn't find fucking shit yeah. And, like, it also isn't, like, really brought up as a big thing when you read up on her. It was, yeah. like, a two-sentence, oh, by the way, her brother was in Heaven's Gate at the end. You know what this makes me think of? Like, and you might forget this, because it's from episode one, when Grace Jones's brother became a minister of, like, a mega church. Like he's a minister of that. like of like a multi thousand member mega church, and like these people, like these people who have these siblings who are like crazy religious, dogmatic. Yeah. Like I don't know, it's just making me think of that. Yeah, Fucking nuts. It is nuts. really nuts. Okay, so yeah, that's Nichelle's crazy life story. Okay, but she like, I just love how. So did she after Star Trek? Did she like act? 
did she do any more acting after that she like she did a lot more star trek acting so like she Mm -hmm. did voiceovers i heard that she had done a voiceover on futurama like i think she plays herself in other shows like comedy shows and Uh then for all the star trek movies that they did she did those but no i think after after like star trek ended she pretty much just dedicated herself to the nasa program which i think is so cool like she went from actress which is great to fucking like nasa head of affirmative action or whatever like that's so cool like yeah all those astronauts that are that went to space and have done amazing things for nasa because of her because of nichelle yeah. that's so wild i love and it and because of nichelle having played like the first major yeah. african-american woman on tv that just so happened to be a space traveler <sighs> like it's fucking dope it's also just wild like how much a like fictional character can really influence real life people a thousand percent like sometimes you just need to see something to know that it's possible and sometimes fiction is the way to do that fiction storytelling like that's just super important yeah that is so cool i love her yeah she's pretty sick what's your libby is your friend's name yeah libby good great fucking job does she listen yeah she she listens libby hey girl big up (laughs) so do you have any guesses on her sign i like to be honest i kind of feel like i don't know enough about her personality to know i would so i want to do like a process of elimination do you feel like i'll be able to guess it or is it like um i don't think it's totally far-fetched okay if you need hints i could give you hints or you can shoot first and then ask for hints later so I think the thing that stands out to me about her story when it comes to thinking about her sign is that she wouldn't settle for bullshit. Is that, like, a helpful thing to consider? Yes. Like, I mean, even going back as far as that first comment about her with the ballet. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, being a young child, experiencing racism as a young child, and still having the courage to audition. And, like, doing it well enough that she got the job, basically. And, like, throughout her career, like, traveling all over the world as a singer and at jazz things and that leading her to television where she landed the role as the first, like, strong leading black lady on TV. Like, and then just, just, I think kind of that, that kind of personality trait of hers of just, like... Okay. Steamrolling through all of life's obstacles and like succeeding. Is she a fire sign? No. Is she an earth sign? Yes. Is she a. Ah! <sighs> um, hmm. Is she a Taurus? No. Capricorn. Capricorn! Okay. I, I was so stuck between the two. Because, like, the not settling thing also makes me think of Taurus. Because they're so, like, hard-headed that they, like, aren't mm. going to tolerate bullshit. But Capricorn makes sense, too. Like, the steamrolling. Okay. Yeah. All right. When's her birthday? December 28th, 1932. 
Hey, Capricorn. She's a Cappy. The sign that I love that never wants to fuck me. All right. Dude, the one Capricorn I dated had a foot fetish, so... (laughs) I'd advise staying away. The... I've slept with a couple caps that I'm aware of. Granted, I haven't gotten the sign of everyone I've ever slept with, let's be honest, but... (laughs) One of them was like a freak ass hoe. I gotta say, he was a fucking freak. Um, so, call me. Okay, Nichelle Nichols, love it. I'm actually like having a great time with this Cali Pinot Grigio wine. Really? I think maybe it needed to just like sit for a little bit before. <laughs> it's been sitting for a week. What? Yeah, it it was marinating. I, I want to tell the listeners at home. So Melissa's recording from her bed because she's still putting her house together, but she's like laying on her side, like looking at me like we just had sex. Like it's really funny. <laughs> I like don't have like a you know like when you sit in a chair or a couch, you have like a backrest. Yeah, I know. I don't have a fucking backrest. And so now I need oh, what to, about like, that? Adjust. What about that banging AC unit I see behind you? Oh, yeah. that? Dude, it's it gets hot as hell in here. <laughs> I am so excited about my woman, as always, because I had actually intended to cover another woman, who I'm not going to mention because I'll probably cover her later. But literally this morning, I read a news article that made me change my woman. Um, That's funny because I had a different woman today too, and I changed it at three thirty this afternoon. What made you change? I couldn't find enough info on her that was enough for an episode. For sure. Okay. Oh my god, that's extra funny because there was another woman that I wanted to cover before the other woman I meant to cover, but I couldn't find <laughs> enough information for online. Okay. Sorry. Like I said, I'm a little drunk. Okay. The woman that I am covering today is someone that the listeners may have heard of, but probably only because of something that happened a couple of days ago. So like a week ago by the time this episode posts. Otherwise, most of you would not have heard of her. Her name is Karen Uhlenbeck. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I think it's Uhlenbeck. She is an American mathematician who two days ago as of today, so March 19th, received the Abel Prize, which is one of the highest mathematics awards you can get in the entire world. And she is the first woman in the entire world to receive this award in her field. How do you win an award for math? Why are you asking me? Like, I know shit about (laughs) math. (laughs) When I was reading up on her, I had to skim over like half the articles I was reading. I was like, I have no idea what this says. Um, but before I get into her story, I'm going to go off on a little tangent about awards because I had never heard of the Abel Award. And so I read up on it and I figured it would make more sense for me to tell people about that before I get into her story. So, you know, like what a big deal it is. But then I also decided to go like on a little tangent about Nobel's because of Rosalind Franklin, and I have no doubt we're going to cover other Nobel winners. And there's like, remember when I mentioned in the Rosalind Franklin episode that you can't get a Nobel after you're dead? There's just like weird, fun little things like that that I wanted to like throw out real quick that I thought would be interesting for people. So the Abel Award, it's spelled A-B-E-L, 
but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Abel, was established in 2001, although there had been discussions about establishing this award since 1899, so it took a really long time for them to pump it out. But it was established in 2001 to give mathematicians an equivalent of a Nobel Prize because there is no Nobel Prize in math. Which I thought was interesting, right? So then I kind of fell down another hole, and I was like, let me just save everybody the Google. There are Nobel Prizes in chemistry, in literature, in physics, in physiology slash medicine, in economics, and then there's the Peace Award that we all know about. And that's it. So there's no Nobel in math. There's econ and physics, which are the closest things. But I thought that was super random. Um so to tell you a little bit more about the Abel Award, it's a Norwegian prize that is awarded every year by the King of Norway. Um, it is basically it was basically created, as I said, to be the equivalent of a Nobel Prize for mathematics. Just like the Nobel, because I wanted to address this, you can't win it if you're dead. But so they declare the winners in March, and then they award the actual award in May. So if you if you are declared a winner but you die before you get your award, oh knock my on wood, God. then you still get the award. Oh, like, you do. Okay, you do. Yeah, you still get the award. Which like I'm like, what is up with these people not giving dead people awards? Like, come on, guys. But I also wanted to do a little side note on something called the Fields Medal. Have you ever heard of the Fields Medal? No. So this is something I had heard of, and I was under the impression that the Fields Medal is like the top of the top of the top that you can get in mathematics. And if you've ever seen the movie Good Will Hunting, um, did you ever watch that? I did, but so long ago that yeah. like, I feel like I need to rewatch it. So there's like a really full of himself math professor who's like the friend of Robin Williams, mm-hmm. who's kind of like a stuck up dick, who's the guy who discovers Will Hunting. In that movie, he has a Fields Medal. So he's like all over himself because he's like, oh, fucking have a Fields Medal, blah, 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 blah. The Fields Medal and the Abel Award are both kind of considered, they're like, depending on who you ask, are the top awards you can get in math. The thing with the Fields Medal is that you can only get it every four years, which you would think would make it more prestigious because it's only every four years, whereas like the Abel is every year. But they give it out to up to four winners. So every four years, they select like two, three, or four people for the Fields Medal. And those people have to be under the age of 40. So our girl Karen, who just got the Able Award, is in her 70s. So like she's not going to get a fucking Fields Medal. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like they're not really comparable because they're kind of like designed for two different things. The Fields Medal is more designed to to like really acknowledge the achievements of young mathematicians and like encourage them to keep doing great things in their field, whereas the Able Award is more like a Nobel. And the Fields Medal, you can only win once. Whereas with the Abel Award and Nobel Awards, you can win multiple times throughout mm. your career if you're cool enough. There's that. Thought that would be interesting for everybody because I had never heard of the Abel Award. Um, so that's that. And I wanted to st- start this story with a quote of hers that I loved so much and will probably give you some hints to what her sign is. Quote from Karen Uhlenbeck I find I am bored with anything I understand. Just want to throw that out there. I really like that quote. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Karen Keskula Uhlenbeck, 
was born in 1942. She grew up in New Jersey. Her parents were first-generation college students, both of them, which in the 40s is really impressive. Her mom went to school to be an artist and got a bachelor's in fine arts, I believe, and her dad was an engineer. So they were educated and upwardly mobile, but I don't think they were necessarily balling out of control. But I also want to give like a shout out to her mom who had a bachelor's degree in like the 1930s. Yeah. Like that's what are the, and she mentions in an interview that her mom grew up in a poor family of 12 children, which like, can you fucking imagine 12 children? (laughs) Like Jesus. So, um, so all that to say, like, big ups to her mom. Respect. She was born to those two people. She was the eldest of four children. And here's a quote that I loved from an interview of hers. Quote, I am the eldest of four children, and I consider dealing with my siblings the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That had a great impact on my choosing a career. I wanted a career where I didn't have to work with other people. Nice. <laughs> so she basically was like, I hated my siblings so much that yeah, I, I just chose be alone. an entire career where I have to fuck with anybody. Uh, as a child, not surprisingly, she was not necessarily interested in math, but was obviously very, very smart. She read voraciously. She read all the books in her house. They lived in the countryside, so she didn't have a lot of access to other books, but they did have a local library, and she gobbled up the science books saying that she read all of the books in the local library that were about science and that she was, quote, frustrated when there was nothing left to read. Because her parents were first-generation college students and she clearly was very smart, there was absolutely no question she would go to college. And she ended up going to the University of Michigan in their honors program in the 1960s. She often credits the University of Michigan as being crucial to her success in her field. She talks about the fact that at that time, super smart girls were not sent to Ivy League schools because they were so expensive. So families just like weren't conditioned to spend that much money on female children to go to college because it just like wasn't cool yet. They were like, I'm not going to drop like, I don't know what, it probably cost like 12 bucks back then, which is the equivalent (laughs) of like 90,000 a year now. But they were like, I'm not going to fucking like spend money on these, like she's just going to be a housewife. Like why would I spend money on her to go to fucking Princeton? So she like credits, University of Michigan is a fantastic school it's really really good you know but it's a public school it's not a private harvard princeton yale and And like she says then people probably weren't like bribing to get in either (laughs) good table that table that for late (laughs) in the episode when i when we're totally wasted so but she talks but she talked about how in the 50s and 60s schools like u of m schools that were more affordable but had an honors component to them that's kind of where all the ivy league caliber women went unless their parents were like fucking loaded and could send them anywhere they wanted to go so those programs she like constantly brings up in her interviews as being like very 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 important to her success and the success of other women in those fields she started university of michigan majoring in physics but she switched to math because listen to this quote i decided to change majors when they started taking attendance in the physics lectures 
<laughs> oh shit! So, I thought you would appreciate that quote uh, as much yeah, as I dude. did. Which, like, I'm sure we brought this up before, but can we mention that one class that you and I had together that we literally never went to, and one time walked out in the middle of class to go watch the World Series from the college bar? <laughs> um, can we also talk about how I got caught cheating on my statistics final? I didn't know that. Yeah, I got kicked out of the class. Got what an, were I got you t- okay, now I want to know. Tell me. <laughs> what were, what were, how were you cheating? What were you doing? I don't remember. I think I just had, like, notes on the inside of my calculator or something. Yeah, I got This caught. is at SF State? Uh-huh. Well, okay, like, we can cut this part. Was it Bettinger? No, my statistics. Was Bettinger? Oh, because I took stat. I just took stat with Bettinger. Oh, no, I had some fucking other guy. He was a real dick, too. Ugh, dick. Well, clearly. Yeah, he was horrible. He, he wouldn't let you cheat. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> we all did it. Everybody did it in some way. I know. I just got Some cut. of us put notes on our calculators. Some of us had moms on Full House who spent $90,000 to get us into college. Like, you know. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So she majored in physics originally, but she switched to math, and then she realized, like, holy shit, I love this. But she has, I want to bring this up, because it'll come up later. She mentions in an interview of hers that I read that she didn't ultimately feel like she was well-suited for physics, because her mind couldn't do that level of abstract thinking. And that's, like, coming from her. That's not my analysis. So she, because physics... Compared to math, like, physics is obviously extremely mathematically heavy, but physics, you have to be, like, physics are kind of, like, the avant-garde scientists. Like, so much of physics is theory. You don't actually have, like, proof. Like, when you think of, like, Stephen Hawking's, like, his shit, like, he never went and hung out in a black hole. Like, his shit was, like, totally theoretical, you know? And he's, like, regarded as one of the best scientists of our time. So it's, like... She she said, like, my mind just doesn't go to that abstract place. Mathematics, where it is, like, concrete, and I know what mm-hmm. it is, and you can just, like, proof out your theorems. That's what made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So she switches to math. Um, while she is at University of Michigan, I know I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, she meets Olk. Olke? I don't know. Probably could have Googled it, but didn't. Uhlenbeck who was a biochemist and the son of a very famous physicist. And she ends up marrying him about a year after she graduates. And her husband, he ends up going to Harvard for his PhD. So she follows him up to Boston and she gets her PhD in mathematics from Brandeis University uh, on a National Science Foundation fellowship, which... In general, if you get it, like, today in 2019, if you get a National Science Foundation fellowship, that's a big fucking deal. Like, yeah. not every grad student gets that. That's that's huge. And for her to get it as a female in the 1960s, like, just want to acknowledge that that is not a joke. She was obviously knew what the fuck she was doing. So she goes on after her grad school program to um oh actually sorry side note she mentions in some of the interviews i've read of hers that the reason she was able to get all of these opportunities that um, national science foundation fellowship is because she was going to grad school right around the time that the russians launched sputnik into space since we're on our space jam we're on our space jam episode 
And uh, <laughs> it should be called Space Jam. That's a hundred percent. Episode twenty five is going to be called Space Jam. It's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. <laughs> the best album of the nineties. Okay. So basically, Russia launches Sputnik. And the U.S. is like, oh my, oh my god, like, their dick is bigger than ours. We need to fucking fix this. And they're like, I guess women can do science, too. Because they were just desperate to, like, be cool as shit. So they were like, oh wait, women are smart. Maybe we should use them. So she credits Sputnik, actually, multiple times in things I read as being a reason for her to have all these opportunities. Because the U.S. was freaking out and wanted good scientists. And realized that people with vaginas can also be great scientists. How weird. So after she finishes grad school, her and her husband, um, they move around a bit. They're both professors. She ends up teaching at MIT. She also does a brief stint at UC Berkeley. And she kept having problems getting hired at universities because at the time they were telling her it was due to anti-nepotism regulations. So her husband was also obviously like a biochemist from Harvard, a very smart person. He would be getting offers from these universities and they'd be like, well, we can't give your wife an offer because that would look like nepotism and that would look like a bias. And that would look like we can't do that because then it would just look like we're hiring her because you want us to hire her. And she's actually said in retrospect that those policies weren't even in place that's not why she didn't get hired in the 60s and 70s they didn't want to hire female scientists because they assumed that they get pregnant and have babies and they'd quit so they were like well you're just gonna have babies so like we're not gonna bother hiring you because that's what women do so like we're not gonna waste our time um spoiler alert she never has children so she was like yeah that doesn't apply to me but fuck you um and here's where i wanted to give a quote because she was working at berkeley in like the late 60s so as you can imagine some shit was going down at uc berkeley in the 60s oh hell yeah and like here's a quote that i'm offering now because i'm going to bring up my own personal analysis of her later quote i'm still processing a lot of what happened during those years I think that some of the origin of older women's lack of sympathy with feminists resulted from the fact that many of us were going along fine in our careers, and then somebody started shouting that you were nobody and you weren't supposed to be there. But there you were, and suddenly there was all this fuss about women. Now they had to hire women. It bewildered many of us. It's nice to know that maybe... Some of the roadblocks have been removed, but I bet that what actually happened was not very useful to anybody. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, This quote is from like the 90s. So like a very different time than now. But just keep that in your pocket. So she ends up at MIT, UC Berkeley. Um, After everything is said and done, her and her husband both end up at... uh, University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana in Chicago. She absolutely hates it. She hates that job for a lot of different reasons. And she actually said in one of her interviews, she was like, I don't even know if it was the job or if it was my failing marriage, but everything was just coming kind of coming to a head at that time. So she ends up leave. She ends up leaving her husband, but she keeps his last name to this day, 
which I find interesting. I don't know, side note, if she did it because it was just convenient, like people already, she had a name in the field and she wanted to keep it, or because that name is also the name of a famous physicist who was her father-in-law. Fuck yeah, you better keep that name, homie. Look, bitch, like, you married his ass, like, you better get something out of it, you know what I'm saying? And she actually, I didn't write this down, but she actually does credit her in-laws as being hugely instrumental in her success because they came from this, they were German, and they came from this intellectual tradition. The Germans are psychos, but they're also really smart. And I'm half German, don't get mad, I'm allowed to say this. And uh, and she actually credits them for really helping to um, to encourage her in her academic pursuits while she was married to him. So she actually credits them a lot. So I think maybe part of it was like to honor them too, but to this mm-hmm. day she keeps his last name. But she leaves him, and she ends up going to the University of Chicago in 1982, which is the same year that she receives a MacArthur Fellowship, which for those of you who don't know, the MacArthur Fellowship Award is often called the Genius Award, and they give it to people from a variety of fields. It's not like a Nobel. It's a it's a fellowship. It's a grant. It's an amount of money that you get. Um, but like, if you get a MacArthur, you're big shit. Like, that's a big deal. Um, so she ends up at University of Chicago, where she's a little bit happier, but she's not totally stoked about it. She describes the school as being, quote, very elitist. She ends up dating a professor from Northwestern named Robert Williams, who she eventually marries. There's not a ton of information on her online, although it's probably going to change in the coming weeks. So I don't know when she married him. I don't even know if they're still together. If he's like, I don't know. But they got married. Um, And like her Wikipedia doesn't even list him. So like, there's not a lot about her online. I just don't understand how women, one, can even find their first husband, let alone like seconds, thirds, fourths, and fifths. Like... How are people pulling this off? Well, that's what, like, blew my mind, too, is I'm like, this bitch is busy. Like, she's doing (laughs) equations. You know what I mean? Like, I'm at the bar or whatever, and she's doing equations, but she still somehow, like, finds the dick and marries the dick. Yeah. Like, I don't understand it. It's, like, it's so mind-blowing to me. And this was, like, something that came... Like, she's always... She describes herself in many in many interviews as not being like socially adept, but she's always booed up, like always booed up. And I'm just like, <laughs> like what? I don't. Whatever. Okay. Who knows? Maybe it's like a math thing, dude. Maybe it's a math thing. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. But also, like, think about how cute that nerd love was. Like her and her fucking scientist husbands, like, made for each other. Yeah, so yeah. cute, so cute. So she marries him, and in 1988, they end up moving to Austin for a few different reasons. Uh, one of which is that that's where her husband's originally from. But there, but there was also more opportunity for her in Austin. To this day, she serves as the Professor Emeritus of Mathematics at University of Texas, Austin. And that's kind of like an overview of her. Um, two days ago, as of this recording, so March 19th, so that'll be about a week ago when you hear this, she was awarded the ABLE Award for, quote, Actually, you know what? I'm going to take a drink of wine before I say this, because I don't understand any of that. (laughs) Quote, Pioneering achievements in geometric partial differential equations, gauge theory, and integrable systems 
and for the fundamental impact of her work on analysis geometry and mathematical physics. Sounds dope. I have no idea what that means, but she's killing the game in math. That's all we need to fucking know. That's insane. I know. So I, like I said, it's not, but like, like not a, I, I just still don't understand who gives the awards away and how do you get one? The, the the king of Norway gives out this award, which also is I'm like, who the fuck is the king of Norway? <laughs> so basically, but who like, the how same did thing? find her? Did she apply to be considered? Like, how does that work? So for the Able Award, since I did my little fucking Google search on it, she you can't apply. Someone else in the field has to nominate you, which is the case often Got for it. academic awards like that. And then there's, like, a committee. The King of Norway, I'm assuming, doesn't know shit about math. Like, he's got, like, the King of Norway, I'm, first of all, I'm not even convinced is a real person. But if he is real, then there's, there's like, a committee of academics and intellectuals who are, like, this is who deserves this award. And he's, like, dope, let me sign this piece of paper. Like, you won this fucking award. Like, that's basically, that's, he doesn't even have to sign it. He has, like, a stamp. (laughs) And his secretary does it. She's, like, he's... He's on vacation. Like, it's fine. So <laughs> that's how this, this shit works, guys. So as I said, like, current information on her besides this prize is hard to find. I think, but please, if you happen to be a fucking expert on Karen Uhlenbeck, please email us. But I think she's still married to her husband, unless, like, knock on wood, he passed. Living in Austin, definitely still working at University of Texas, Austin, uh, with cats and she absolutely loves the outdoors she's mentioned she doesn't have any kids and she's just living her best fucking life um and before i kind of like sign off on some thoughts i just wanted to she's won a ton of awards in her life but i wanted to name some of the big ones that people might know obviously a few days ago she won the able prize not that most of us know that but now you fucking know because i taught you about it she, as I mentioned earlier, got the MacArthur Fellowship in 1982. That's a huge fucking deal. She also was named a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1985. She was elected as a member of the National Academy of Sciences in 1986. She was named a Guggenheim Fellow, also a great big fucking deal in 2001. She was given the National Medal of Science, which sounds important as fuck, in the year 2000. She she was named the fellow of Amer- she was named a fellow of the American Math Society in 2012 um, and I already mentioned that she won the Abel Prize uh, so that's she's won a lot more than that but those are kind of like the big awards that people might have heard of obviously an incredibly accomplished mathematician I did have like I debated whether or not I wanted to share this but I found a quote of hers that ties into it so I'm gonna fucking share it so there's so much like she is so interesting to me reading her story in her own words reading interviews of hers she comes off as someone and hang with me here hang with me she comes off as someone who's obviously like really smart and accomplished but someone i don't think i would personally like very much which was like really interesting for me to grapple with when I was researching her. Like that quote about the women's movement at UC Berkeley, I thought was like really tone deaf and very kind of like, it wasn't a problem for me. I don't see what the big deal is. Like women just got jobs. It was like, come on girl. Like really? That's your commentary. And, and even just the way she talks about her siblings, 
she like has referred to them as like very troubled and she's like kind of really dismissive of people and they're like and there's other things too that like i didn't mention but that give me the impression that she's not and i don't mean this as a dig against her because i think she's clearly a very amazing accomplished woman and i think that she has trouble putting herself in other people's shoes which i thought tied in very well to her being upfront about the fact that abstraction is not her jam when she talked Mm -hmm. about physics versus math and i was like well putting yourself in someone's shoes is an abstraction because you can't physically put yourself in someone else's shoes Mm -hmm. so it kind of like made sense to me that the way her brain works she doesn't necessarily get other people's struggles and how they relate to her like even when she was talking like she has quotes about talking about she never uses the word sexism in the things i've read but how difficult it was for women to get ahead in the fields she was in um and it's interesting it's like she's aware of it but she's but she also talks about like discrimination as um how do i say this as something that's not like personal to her like the way she talks about sexism it's almost like it doesn't apply to her that was the at least that was the impression that i was under she seems to kind of have this she gives off this attitude of like well if you just work hard enough like you'll get it so like what's the big deal I could be misinterpreting that, but that's kind of like the read that I was getting from her. And given the the comments she made on like her family and things like that, it had me thinking that like maybe she's just like the way her brain works, she can't really go to these places where she can put herself in someone else's shoes. So she's um, definitely not an air sign is what you're saying? Wait. But then I really wanted to, I really wanted to read this quote of hers because I was having these like complicated feelings and I was like, should I bring this up? Like I don't we're our podcast is supposed to uplift women. But as we've mentioned in other episodes, like women are people, they're complicated, they're not perfect. And then I came across this quote of hers that I thought was super appropriate and I wanted to share. So in this interview, someone mentions to her a mathematician named Kathleen Morowitz, who was um, teaching at a school that she happened to be at. And this is a quote from Karen Uhlenbeck. Quote, She was the only woman I ever took or even audited a course from. I want to tell this carefully as it is important to me. At the time, I was not very impressed by her. I was critical of her hair and clothes, her lecturing style, and even of her mathematics. I had no contact whatsoever with applied math and was not interested. So I resolved to be better than my one role model, which does serve some purpose. Many years later, I fell on this memory as a lifesaver. I was going through a rocky period, and the memory of less than perfect lectures by a highly respected mathematician who I had grown to admire kept me going. One does not have to be perfect. One can be human. Role models serve many purposes. And then on top of that, real quick, I wanted to share this quote from another article of hers where she says, um... I am aware of the fact that I'm a role model for young women in math, and that's partly what I'm here for. It's hard to be a role model, however, because what you really need to do is show students how imperfect people can be and still succeed. 
Everyone knows that if people are smart, funny, pretty, or well-dressed, they will succeed. But it's also possible to succeed with all of your imperfections. It took me a long time to realize this in my own life. In this respect, being a role model is a very unglamorous position, showing people all of your bad sides. I may be a wonderful mathematician and famous because of it, but I'm also very human. So I really like that kind of like, it kind of gave me what I needed to feel better about her story where I was kind of like, there's yeah. a side of her that I find really complicated, but she's like very aware that she's not perfect and very willing to be like, I know I'm not perfect, but I can still be a role model to people. Um, and I thought that was badass. And that is Karen Uhlenbeck, who on March 19th, 2019, made a historical or her historical first by winning the Abel Medal in mathematics and was the first female to ever do so. Whoop de whoop, dude! Could you imagine having to do math for the rest of your life? I like no, no, I can't. I hate math so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. Here's what I can, can you imagine enjoying math? That's the part that blows my mind. Like she <laughs> loves it. Like this bitch gets up in the morning and is like fuck yes math. I'm like I haven't gotten up and done math since 1999. Like Did I don't you even remember, know. Like long division. No, I don't remember How anything you just, about like, it. Just like keep going down the page, and next thing no. you know, your entire one page was long division, and it was only question number one. There's a funny story. I had this um, professor. This professor, she was a high school teacher. <laughs> this teacher <laughs> in high school named Miss Tom. She was so funny. And do you remember imaginary numbers? The little eye, yes. like little lowercase. And they're me being me, me being an air sign. I had to be like, I'm sorry, why are we learning this? And she was like, well. And I like really liked her, but I was like, what is the point? Like, what is the practical application of imaginary numbers? Like, why are we learning this? And I, I like, she gave some response and I like kept pushing her and kept pushing her as I do. And she finally just, she came up and she patted me on the shoulder and she's like, you just got to learn it, buddy. <laughs> It's like the end of the conversation. So yeah, fuck math. Questions. Yeah, like just do your goddamn homework. I was like, okay. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm super excited because she's very of the moment. So Karen, that's awesome. Congratulations, Karen. Way to fight, killing it, killing it. Yeah. I hope she got to meet the king of Norway. She, I think she will in May. So the award ceremony is on May 21st, guys. So hopefully he'll like shake her hand or some shit. Who's I hope that we. It? I hope we I'm get to watch it on live stream. <laughs> Fucking! I'm gonna be live Instagramming this so hard. King of Norway. Let me just look it up real quick. Harold the fifth, dude. Harold the fifth. Whoa, he looks like a candlestick that has melted down a lot. If you can imagine that. And <laughs> and he's going to give her her fucking prize. What? Harold the Fifth. He's 82 years old. He literally looks like a melted candle. <laughs> oh, Harald V of Norway. Harald, yeah, oh, that's H-A-R-A-L-D. Got it. That's Harald. Okay. Harald. All right, that, Harald. Okay. What do you think her sign um, is? I don't know. Like, I, I keep switching between, like, three. I think it will be one of your tops, if that's is helpful. Is she an earth sign? Yes. Is she a Virgo? Yes, she is. 
That critical ass bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I knew it. Wait, I think it's August twenty fourth. So she's a uh, she's oh, so she's Virg. like Leo. Leo. She's an early Virg. Yeah. Interesting. I. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. There were lots of things that screamed Virgo. Um, like what? But at one. Um, just the fact that she's just like nose in the air, bitter bitch. Like she kind of, she kind of just sounds like that. Yeah. Um, just about like, I don't know. She almost kind of has like a little bit of a hater vibe, but also like I am a Virgo and I'm super, super black and white. And like, it's really hard for me to operate in a gray zone because I don't like gray zone. Yeah. I like things to be concrete and like clear as day. Yep. And that's exactly how she is. Well, I was going to say, like, clearly she's an intellectual, which doesn't, could be any sign, but they're, like, Virgo is one of the top signs for, like, an intellectual mind. And you know she had to be an earth sign because ab- she didn't like abstraction. I'm like, yeah. earth signs hate abstraction. That's mm-hmm. their fucking, their arch nemesis. They hate that shit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 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 I thought, I was thinking. Uh, well, at first, for some reason, I was thinking Aquarius. Or, no, 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 I was hmm. thinking Gemini. At first, I was well, thinking Gemini. Ge- Gemini is also an intellectual sign. Everybody hates us. But Gemini and Virgo, I would say, are the top two. What do you think are the most intellectual signs of the Zodiac? Um, I was thinking about this. Avi Virgo. Um, I don't know. I guess just probably those two. Yeah, the Mercury signs. We got that Mercury shit. Yeah. I was thinking, like, maybe Capricorn, but only because they need it to become, like, successful. Like, you don't have to be an intellectual to be a Capricorn, but if you are, you're going to be, like, the top of your field. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So... So we had a cap and a Virgo today. What I like when you told me that Homegirl was an Earth sign, I was like, if we have two Virgos, I'm gonna shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like two Scorpios last week. Exactly. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that was really so, strange that that happened. Yeah. Oh, and oh I also want to add. I had posted a poll on Instagram asking people if I should do someone who was like more well-known or lesser-known, and the overwhelming majority of people voted for lesser-known, so that's why I chose somebody who was, like, I do have a couple of, like, better-known people I want to cover, but I think people are kind of feeling the lesser-known girl vibes, so I wanted to do that. I like it. She's great. I like these smart ladies. I do, too. I fucking love it. Yeah. You've covered, like, a few smart ladies in a row, I think. I know. I know. I need to break it up. But I was like, but when I saw that headline, I was like, I have to cover her. Like, that's perfect. Like, it's yeah. divine. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it's funny that we both picked somebody, like, today on the fly, too. I know. I know. But next week is Villainess. Yes. So. I gotta start thinking well, about that, like, ASAP. Mm-hmm. All right, so what should our sign-off be? If you're still here, um, let us know if you have a good sign-offs for us. We'll just, like, sign off with whatever you want us to say, as long as it's cool. (laughs) 
It's something that we like. We feel like a year in, we need some help with on our podcast. So if you have a cool sign off that isn't just like us drunkenly rambling, like I mean, a it's hard, kind of strange that like we haven't naturally found one yet. I know. Goodbyes are hard, man. Like, what do you say? Maybe we should just play Vitamin C's song every ending. <laughs> As we go on, we will We should just, like, end... Lodian's going. I was going to say, we should end every episode with, like, just a reminder, Vitamin C is the VP of music at Nickelodeon. <laughs> My dream job! <laughs> Uh, uh, after you work for the Girl Scouts in Irvine. Yeah. <laughs> so after you're the Girl Scouts, I'll go work for music at Nickelodeon. Well, thanks so much for listening to episode 25. As we mentioned Wait, previously. I thought, you had a, what? I thought you had a Women of the Week. Oh, you're the best. I'm a Woman of the Week. Hi, guys. My Woman of the Week is one of the women we have solicited for feedback. Her name is... Catherine, I almost said her full name. Like she, like, and her. So, what's your social, girl? I'll put it up here. Um, I'm gonna call her Catherine B. Kathy B. Hey, Kathy B. She actually gave us. She sent us an email because of the guilt trip description that we posted in episode 24, and then we responded to that email asking her for some very specific feedback, and she gave us like super detailed super thoughtful feedback which as mercury signs we both super appreciated so like i mean like really really detailed feedback that was super helpful for so big ups to Catherine, kathy b anyway well this is a long episode bye guys um hit us up we really want to hear from you adios bye